tatted in red Remember Todd White Where did Eric Carlson eat last night? It doesn't matter if you ask It's the Chet and Luke Podcast Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode stone of the Chet Sellers and Luke Perisky podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by one of the rejected candidates from the Senator's search for a new president and CEO. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. I am doing Love the show. Okay. You're doing okay? Uh, yeah, you know what? How bad could it get? Let, let's go all out. Let's see how let's see how messed up things can get in Ottawa before the NHL finally steps in and takes this franchise away from Eugene Melnick. Who did, says no? Did you Who's leave your did you leave your resume with the person out front uh for CEO? Were you uh did you throw your hat in the ring for that one? I just actually nailed it to the Canadian Tire Center door. <laughs> and assumed because I, I just assumed that someone would see it. Well, look, um, I mean, we talk a lot about finding efficiency in management chains and eliminating redundancies and, you know, basically making sure that the the vertical path from from staff to the top is as clear as possible. And what better way to eliminate the middleman than to name Eugene Melnick CEO so that you can sort of take your tantrums directly to the staff, you know, yeah. <laughs> so that you can make sure that there's no intermediary trying to prevent the people that you're not paying enough from being completely demoralized every time you change your mind about something. I love the idea that it's kind of like this uh, Disney film, like, you know, the real CEO was inside you all along. <laughs> Eugene Melnick naming himself CEO is sort of like when Caligula made his horse consul of the Senate. Uh, if Caligula was also the horse. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, though, did um, when we look back on the Tom Anselmi era, what are we going to remember other than other than hot dogs and tarps? Oh, missing chiclets, I would guess. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so missing chiclets was I mean, I guess they're they're gone now. Right. I mean, did they didn't make any announcement from what I understand? They're not they're not playing the games like I would like someone to who was at the last missing chiclet show to uh, to write in and let us know what it was like. <laughs> if you were at that last missing chiclet show like that is going to be a moment in history that you didn't know at the time. But now looking back, you're like, that was it. That was the final show. It would be like seeing the Eagles in Long Beach in 1980, right before they broke up for like 25 years. Like, you know, looking mm -hmm. back, that's a that's a momentous show. Um, and like the Eagles, Missing Chicklets will be touring again 20 years from now during their Hell Freezes Over tour. <laughs> I want to recite for you some some lyrics that I understand were in one of the songs at the Farewell Show, which I guess was kind of a, a hint to everyone, even though we didn't know that it was going to be their final show. Um, and this is this is how I understand it went. So we may lose and we may win, but we'll never be here again. So open up. I'm climbing in to take it easy. And I think that speaks both to the band and the team, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. Like, you know you what? know what actually happened, right? Like, they didn't tell Missing Chicklets beforehand that it was going to be their final show. Because if they had, like, you can imagine them them basically gigging under protest, right? And not oh, it even... Oh, it would have gone off. <laughs> like, they would have been like, you know what? This is our last show. Let's just play side two of 2112, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, we're going to have one of those awful Doors songs that has a three-hour-long organ solo in it for no reason. Yeah, we're going to just we're going to make this whole place sound like a Sun Ra record. We're fish now. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> well, it would have been great. It would have been like, um, you know, if they were gigging under protest and they're like, we'll play Take It Easy, but then we're never going to stop playing Take It Easy. It would have been like, you remember seeing Prince play While My Guitar Gently Weeps at the Grammys or whatever mm-hmm. it was? And he just like kept going and going and going and, and you know, Tom Petty was getting more and more upset with him it would have been like that but with take it easy and they wouldn't have even been able to drop the puck to start like the third period and it would have been like a situation at newport where like pete Seeger had to get an axe and try to cut the power line to stop take it easy from playing throughout the game that would have been a lot of fun Mm-hmm. Everyone in the crowd is too high to really appreciate what's happening. But after the fact, they realize that it was, you know, a historic event to be at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> best of luck in future endeavors, Tom Anselmi, uh, which I believe was what they put in the press release. <laughs> Literally, we got scooped on future endeavors. They, they future endeavored the guy, which is cold. Is that, was that, is that cold? The guy hadn't even been here for a year and they were just like... Good try. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, we've we've all had to put out bad press releases on a Friday. Like we've we've all mm. been there, right? But you can you know you can always put out two, right? <laughs> like you can put out the one that says congratulations to Pierre Dorian, three year extension. Obviously, we're pleased with the work Pierre's done and his history of scouting in the organization. And he also happens to be willing to work for the lowest GM salary in the league. Congratulations to Pierre allegedly, Dorian. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Congratulations, thirty done. And you can put out a second one that says, oh, and by the way, Tom Anselmi is leaving, as opposed to just sort of burying the lead at the bottom of the Pierre Dorian extension with, additionally, <laughs> best of luck in future endeavors, Tom Anselmi. It was funny because the Anselmi news had already broken. And so uh, people were like all up in arms on uh, on Twitter. And then they announced the Dorian extension. So the order of the press release was like the reverse order to what we knew about. <laughs> well, and the thing, too, is, I mean, he's obviously getting excellent, expensive advice from his Toronto PR firm, like put out bad news at the end of the day on Friday. It's like that's now two weeks in a row that they've done that. It's like, again, you could have hired an Ottawa based PR firm that will tell you if you're going to name yourself CEO and basically piss off all your fans, do it like at the end of the day on Friday. Not that Twitter isn't going to spend all Friday night dragging you again anyway. But again, this is not uh, this is not really Jedi level PR strategy here. Uh, What did we do to deserve this? It's not a fun time. Um, And if you listen to any hockey podcasts or read any hockey writers or even know anything about hockey generally, there's a, a weird sort of confluence of things right now where not only are the senators kind of the car crash franchise right now that everybody's sort of pointing at and being like look at what these idiots are doing and you know it's our turn now but in the past that's been the Habs or the Leafs or the Canucks like there's always Mm -hmm. or the Florida Panthers like there's always somebody that's out there screwing up Uh, So right now it's the Senators for sure, but it's that combined with they also happen to have the, you know, biggest name pending free agent on the market. And (laughs) to listen to the media tell it like there's absolutely no way that Eric Carlson wants to or should even consider coming back to the Edmund Fitzgerald of NHL franchises. They're putting both of those sort of stories together. And it's not it's (laughs) and the more you you look at them, the more you're kind of like, yeah, maybe those two things do connect. And now I don't want to think about it anymore.
My entire reaction to most of the hockey media this year is just, you know, don't don't look at us. Like we're not <laughs> like this is too much of a spectacle. Like don't look at us flopping around in our fail sweat. Just let us deal with our problems ourselves privately, quietly. Like just come back in two years when we've got a few things figured out. Like you don't need to report on this. Yeah, and even if it's more likely that Carlson resigns with the Sens, regardless of what is going on on the ice or behind the scenes because most hockey players, almost all of them, in fact, end up re-signing with the teams that can offer them the most term and the most money. You know, most people would, if pressed, would say there's a greater than 50% chance that he re-signs with the Sens than he goes somewhere else. But it's not a story. Like, I get the media sort of shipping Carlson to just about every other team because it's always much more interesting to say this is something that might happen, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not all that likely as a opposed to, yeah, here's something that probably isn't going to happen. Like, that's not as much of a story. So I try to remember that. But at the same time, like, please stop talking about Eric Carlson as I frantically consume as much hockey media as I can to try to soothe my anxiety. Uh, although it turns out it only makes it worse. Sort of like any news at all these days about anything. Yeah, once you are allowed to report on just the realm of things that might happen instead of things that actually do happen or will happen, like, it really opens up a lot of, a lot of possibilities for just, like, garbage to talk about on a between-periods show, for instance. Exactly. Talk about the real stories. Talk about what happened to missing chicklets. Where are they? I have really enjoyed this Ottawa Senators season because one of my favorite things in the world is the business side of sports. You know, I got into sports so I could really give a hard crap about, you know, org charts. And, you know, when, when players give interviews and say, it's a business, because they know they might be <laughs> traded, that, that, that is actually good to me. That is, that is what I like about sports. And so by that measure, this Senators season has owned completely. Like, I've loved it. <laughs> well, that's, and that's why the Dion Phaneuf trade, uh, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? The Dion Phaneuf is now an LA King. That's, oh, no. That's why it's so much less fun this time than it was two years ago, because two years ago, it was trading basically dead money for a guy that could be dead money, but also could just be kind of, you know, a decent player for a couple of years. And that at least was better than having Jared Cowan. And now it's just straight dead money for dead money, right? Like mm -hmm. now it's just a pure financial deal. So it's it's less exciting from that perspective, because two years ago I was saying, eh, maybe I could talk myself into Dion Phaneuf still having this or that or mentoring Cody Cece or just generally being tall and looking like what a comic book hockey player would look like. And now it's kind of like, oh, Marion Gabrick, that would have been cool in like 2012. Ottawa really putting together a team of you know players that were really good five years ago, <laughs> which really, in a lot of ways, is the Ottawa way. Yeah, what's interesting about Phaneuf is he's now been traded for two different packages of debt, essentially. Like, mm -hmm. he's sort of a... He's, he's kind of become his own cryptocurrency, in a way, <laughs> in terms of how his how his value has kind of changed um, over the mm -hmm. last uh, over the last couple of years. Dion Phaneuf is also like cryptocurrency because you want to get out of that market while you still can. You don't want to be... The, you don't want to be the person... The last person to have Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> this increasingly cold potato, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that is true. And one of the things that I do sort of have to acknowledge about this deal is that 
Pierre Dorian kind of bit the bullet, right? And was like, it's not going to get any better. So now is the time to do this, you know? In terms of the situation today, the best way to go forward is to move out Dion Phaneuf, right? Like, I mean, everything else that happened before that is kind of like spilled milk under the bridge, right? Like, we're not going Mm -hmm. to, we're just going to take the situation that we have and figure out the best thing we can do in this situation. And I've seen, you know, a number of takes where it's like trying to relitigate the deal that brought him in in the first place to say, yes, but if we had just sort of kept Cowan and Greening and McCulloch, we would be out of all of that and be debt free today instead of basically paying or being about to buy out Marion Gabrick, which presumes two things. One, that, you know, Phaneuf offered absolutely no value over the last two years or less than no value and that they would have made the Eastern Conference finals and maybe even done better than that if they hadn't had him on the team. They'd had like Jared Cowan or another free agent instead. Um, And I don't know that I believe that. But also, if you're going to go back and say, well, you know, we probably shouldn't have done the Cowan and Greening and McCulloch trade in the first place. It's like, why stop there? (laughs) Like, You know, yes, you probably shouldn't have made that trade if you wanted to be debt free today. But you also probably shouldn't have signed those guys to those contracts in the first place. And mm-hmm. if you want to go back even earlier, you should say, well, you probably shouldn't have drafted Jared Cowan in the first place. And, you know, when you're taking that kind of step, then you might as well say, yeah, and if you hadn't become a franchise in 1992, you wouldn't have tortured us for the last 25 years, right? So you can kind of play what if all the way back, right? So in a way, I kind of respect that Pierre Dorian kind of just said, look, it's a sunk cost. This is the best thing we can do, given that we are in this situation. We're talking about, you know, Dion Phaneuf as a kind of financial instrument of like debt consolidation. But like in reality, he is like a hockey asset. Whereas, you know, Jared Cowan was the sort of thing that they're going to write songs about decades from now just because of how bad he was. (laughs) And so, you know, the Leafs bought out Jared Cowan, right? They did, although Cowan, I think, took them to uh, an arbitrator because he was he was saying that was not a legal buyout. And I think he ultimately lost. Uh, If you can believe it, the Toronto Maple Leafs were able to engage in some roster shenanigans and get away with it. But I'm pretty sure that's the only time that's happened. Man, dealing with Leafs fans these days is terrible because they're just such a Republican Party ass fan base. <laughs> just like, oh, nice Dion Phaneuf trade you have there. Oh, I see you had to retain salary, unlike us. Have you tried uh, being rich and yeah. then not following the rules? No? Oh, I guess it's because you're not as smart as us. But <laughs> what the, the other thing that, you know, even if the Leafs did everything sort of correctly and, you know, took on the short term pain for the long term gain and all of that. The only reason they are where they are, and this is true whether you are smart or dumb or somewhere in between, is they won the draft lottery. And they won Never it in, and they won it in a, you know, sort of generational year. And there aren't that many of those. Like last year was not that year, and this year is probably not even that year. So yeah, you know, you did some things right and good for you, and you were able to be terrible for a number of years with or without a plan and you know, buy out Jared Cowan and not have to ice a decent team and not worry about selling tickets during any of that. But the only reason you are where you are is because of Austin Matthews. I do think the Phaneuf trade, the first one that is kind of worked out for both sides because Toronto did the dirty work that Ottawa couldn't, either morally or financially. 
and you know Ottawa solved some of Toronto's cap problems and you know again like the business side of sports is what I'm into and so that trade is like insanely good to me <laughs> that will that will probably go down as the weirdest trade in franchise history though right like that there was actually a deal in place that brought in the captain of the Maple Leafs to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for essentially a bunch of dead assets, right? Like that is, mm-hmm. that is probably never going to be topped in terms of just the number of ways you could look at that deal and say, what the hell? <laughs> like it just, it still doesn't make any sense today. But I mean, I, I agree with you. I do think that even if, you know, now that we're kind of at the end of this two year period, we can definitively say that CC Phaneuf is the worst second pairing in the NHL. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they got nothing out of Dion Phaneuf um, over the last couple of years. I think having him was better than having what they gave up for him for, you know, more or less the same amount of money. I know it wasn't quite the case, you know, and again, I don't necessarily put a ton of stock in off ice stuff, positive or negative, but everybody on the team loved him. He was kind of like a surrogate captain. Um, he took some of the spotlight off of Carlson like there's. I'm not saying those are those are necessarily worth $7 million a year, but I think all of it has some value. I think you're right. I think having Dion Phaneuf over the last two years was better than the alternative, and it just means that we've had to transfer the debt that we shouldn't have gotten into in the first place with Cowan and Greening and McCulloch forward a couple of years to whatever we do with Marion Gabrick. It's weird to have Marion Gabrick on the Ottawa Senators. He has two points in his Ottawa debut. He's on a line with Matt Duchesne and Mike Hoffman. And, you know, it's kind of like finding two gold coins in a old pair of pantaloons. You know, it's like this is old and no longer fashionable. But on the other hand, found money. So, yeah. And I, I don't know if Marion Gabrick is going to be more useful to the Sens than Dion Phaneuf would be over the next, you know, whatever period he's with the team. Certainly, if you put a guy with Duchesne and Hoffman, um, you're putting him in the best possible position to succeed. What I'm hoping that they do, and if Pierre Dorian can pull this off, um, I will give him another three-year extension, is if they can basically put him on a decent line, prove that he's healthy, prove that he can still score, and get some dumb team, either at the deadline, but probably in the offseason, to take him off our hands. Like, that would be even better than a buyout. As we've established, the Ottawa Senators love nothing more than making other teams pay their money. (laughs) No, but I mean, I look at Gabrick and I'm sort of like, I don't know if he wants to be in Ottawa or not. I don't see why he would retire, like some people are saying, because he's just leaving money on the table. And it's not like he's retiring because he owns a hockey team in Slovakia, like a club team that he wants to join so that they can make the playoffs. He's not like in a Yager situation. So I would assume at best he'd be bought out and he'd get what money was coming to him over the next couple of years. But... But I look at him, hopefully, if he's healthy, kind of like an Alish Hemsky, where he's like, all right, I've got 20 games. I'm going to play out of my mind so that I can get out of Ottawa and go somewhere else. We want our players to be good so they will leave. Uh, it's, a, it's a dark year. I will say this on Dion Phaneuf. He was my guy I enjoyed cheering for. He scored a big goal in the playoffs last year, which I think is more than can be said about his career in Toronto. Easy come, easy go, I guess. Uh, I liked the guy. I liked how good he was in the room. And, you know, now that he's gone, 
I don't think I'm going to miss Dion Phaneuf, but I did enjoy his time while he was here. So I think that's, you know, kind of the best you can say for that deal. Yeah, um, I'm not going to. I definitely came around on Dion Phaneuf for sure, because like I would have been I, I loved making fun of him when he played for Toronto. Right. Because it's hard mm-hmm. not to because he's, you know, presents such a serious self-image and he was basically presiding over, you know, a joke of a hockey team and making a ton of money. Uh, and you were like, ha, look at that idiot with his stupid Red Bull hat. And then all of a sudden he's your problem. But I agree with you. I think he was someone that I really warmed to over the last couple of years. And he's someone that, you know, again, I'm not necessarily going to miss, but I'm also, you know, going to legitimately wish him best of luck in future endeavors. Like you see Leafs fans boof enough, whether it's a game in Ottawa or Toronto. Like I have no hard feelings toward Dion Phaneuf. Like I would not boo him the way I'd boo Danny Heatley. I hope that he, you know, is able to succeed as a third pairing defenseman in Los Angeles, which is, I think, the stage of his career that he's at now. I'm never cheering for L.A., though. <laughs> well, why would like, you? Like when it comes down to the playoffs and like Dion Phaneuf's getting it done in the third round, I'm not going to be like, oh, good, I'm on the LA bandwagon now. No, I think we've discussed this before. The only team that Senators fans are allowed to cheer for in the playoffs is Nashville. Mm-hmm. Or if you are a complete nihilist, Las Vegas. <laughs> Honestly, I've been considering it. <laughs> I was like, if I didn't hate these guys, they'd be a lot of fun to cheer for just because of how much their success you know, will piss off other teams. Burn it down. Burn it all down. <laughs> cheering, for, cheering for Vegas Golden Knight, Zach Smith. Oh, uh, so we're already into more trades. Ah, you like that segue? Yeah, it was very good. Um, let me ask you this. Is Ottawa going to make hockey deals? I think they are going to trade Zach Smith. I think they're going to trade a center, Peugeot or Brassard. I don't think they're going to trade Hoffman at this point, but I think they will probably say, well, we can trade a center because we've got Duchesne. We'll have one of Peugeot and Brassard. We've got Colin White in the mix. Logan Brown is in the mix, right? Like he's going to be ready in a couple of years, like I think, or next year, who knows? You know, maybe they re-sign Nick Shore, who underrated part of the Dion Phaneuf trade is both an upgrade and a significant cost savings on Nate Thompson. So I do think, Mm -hmm. I do doff my chapeau to Pierre Dorian for that one. Ottawa, having signed Nate Thompson to a two-year deal, immediately ships him back across the continent to the West Coast. Also, uh, your friend and mine, uh, Chris Domenico, has been shipped out for, what was that guy's name? Uh, Vile Polka? Vili Polka. Vile Polka, the world's worst uh, music genre. (laughs) And so... (laughs) Is this Pierre Dorian kind of dunking on Guy Boucher here, saying, I got the new contract, you did not, and now I'm going to ship out all the players you told me to sign because they're bad? Possibly, although Pierre Dorian also sent Colin White down this week so that he could bring Gabriel Dumont off IR, which, again, I'm hoping is a way to showcase his value to a, uh, to a team that wasn't interested in taking him off waivers last month. Gabriel Tumont, literally just, you know, a hot dog we found on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) No, but if if Pierre Dorian is able to take guys like Gabaric and Dumont that other teams don't want and find a way to maximize their value and ship them out for anything, like, you know, again, credit to you, Pierre Dorian. Uh, I'm not optimistic that it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I do think that he's sort of said at this point, all right, all your guys are gone. If he trades Tom Pyatt, you'll know for sure. There's, of course, one Boucher guy who will never get traded. And I refer, of course, to Cody Cece. Cody Cece is not a Boucher guy. He's a Dorian guy. Actually, he's both a Dorian and a Boucher guy. <laughs> he's a Boucherion guy. Like, he's not right, going okay. anywhere. Get ready, talking- get ready for that four-year Cody Cece extension. 
deliver me from this evil. <laughs> why would you? Why would you speak that into existence? <laughs> because it's going to happen. Uh, like, I mean, they could get rid of him and they could still put together a decent defensive core next year. Like, they don't need mm-hmm. Cody Cece, but they don't see it that way. Pierre is talking about, like, rebuild and we have a plan and we have to do all these things and we're shipping out all these guys. And But, like, really, the the problem with the Senators is they're not, they don't run that deep. There's enough high-end talent that you really just have to ship out a couple below average players and bring in some decent depth and like that's a it's a, it's going to be a good team by accident yeah and i'm hoping that they sort of say okay we can actually plug in freddie clayson and chris weidman into this rotation weidman because he's been hurt all year and he will come back because he you know won't get the ufa money he's looking for somewhere else until he kind of proves he can play again and freddie clayson because we just haven't played him all year because we've apparently had uh, better options like johnny oduya who i am positive will be gone for you know a seventh round pick by this time next week they could plug those guys in get rid of cody cc and be no worse and probably be significantly better and if they can do something like trade zach smith to calgary and get one of those like young ahl defensemen they've got i don't think that's likely but if they could then they're in really good shape like i think there are a lot of options out there that don't involve cody cc but now they're saying well you know he's at a point where you know the mentee has become the mentor and we're gonna put thomas shabbat with him and see how cody cc can mold his game and i was like i don't know that that's i don't know that that's the the directional effect that we that we want here you know like taking the young upstart under his wing and saying you know how you break out the puck and you you always seem to take it in you know to the offensive zone and make the right decision and find the open man why don't you try not doing that (laughs) why don't you try getting the puck behind your own net and rather than sort of finding the open man to start the breakout why don't you just circle around for a bit and then pass it directly to an attacking forward the three most beautiful words in the english language are off the glass The thing about Cody Cece for me is that it's very hard for me to see what other hockey execs see in him on the ice because I'm very good at defending management. I can usually figure out what they're going for or like why they did a thing or why they signed that bad contract. You know, I I can figure it out. I can get to I can get myself to the point where I can see the logic behind, you know, various hockey moves, but I just cannot find a single statistical or gameplay justification for the existence of Cody Cece and his 25 minutes a night. The only statistical justification for him having any value at all is his age combined with the number of games he's played combined with the number of minutes he's played. Kind of the same as like Dion Phaneuf is the 20 minute a night defenseman who's eventually worth $7 million, uh, whether he's any good or not. I think that's all it is with Cody Cece. And again, I think if you are willing to roll the dice a little bit, you can get 20 minutes a night from somebody else who is going to do at least as good a job. Sure. Let's get Vili Polka in there. I think they're going to make, I don't know, two or three more trades. I think they'll make one big one and I think all the rest will be small. Like when I say a big one, I mean Hoffman or Broussard. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not Hoffman, though. No, I don't. I I hope it's not Hoffman. It's not impossible for me to imagine a Mike Hoffman deal that I would actually do and approve of. Right. Whereas it is impossible for me to approve of, you know, such a deal for, say, Eric Carlson. (laughs) Well, there is theoretically equivalent value that you can get for Eric Carlson. Like, there's no Mm -hmm. untradeable player. It's just I have no faith that, you know, the Senators would be able to do that, right? That they would be able to get three blue chip prospects and a couple of first round picks or whatever, whatever you think in your mind Eric Carlson is worth. Like, they, they couldn't do it. Like, there's no there's no way to kind of get equivalent trade value when someone is like that far out at the end of the talent spectrum. 
I don't think the senators should trade Eric Carlson, even if they do get a good deal. If you could tell me, you know, Tampa Bay is offering Ottawa seven first round draft picks and Braden Point and a ham sandwich, like I would still say that Ottawa shouldn't do that deal. And it's not necessarily because it's not smart from a hockey perspective, but it's because the well of, uh, you know, fan support has become so poisoned is going to take years to kind of clean it up. And I don't think any fan would believe that Ottawa, you know, traded Eric Carlson uh, for a reason that wasn't related to Eugene Melnick. <laughs> so, so I'm going. I, th- I, th- I think regardless of how good a deal you get, you have to keep him just to you know keep that you know last shred of good faith remaining between uh, between the team and the fan base at this point. Yeah, and I mean Daniel Alfredson resigned a contract every few years. You know whether the team was floundering or not, right? I mean they were on their way up for a lot of his career, but he was also resigning back in was it 09 010 when the senators were kind of in the same position they are now which is like we've got some old high cost guys that we need to get rid of we don't necessarily have a ton in the pipeline we're gonna have to sort of retool and figure this out and what they basically did was they made a couple of trades here and there and they managed to put something together that you know makes the playoffs every other year and that was evidently enough of a plan to get daniel alfredson to almost finish his career in ottawa And I do think that with Carlson, they'll be able to go to him in the summer and say, look, we've trimmed some of the fat. We've drafted whoever. We've got these guys on the way. We're going to make the playoffs this year because we make the playoffs every other year. And we'll also offer you eight years and $80 million. And Mm -hmm. I do think Carlson will say, well, it's not great now, but, you know, these guys aren't going to be here forever. um, And I do want to stay in Ottawa because I like it here. So Mm -hmm. um, it may be there's been a lot of talk about, well, Dorian's got to present him with a plan. And I think to a certain extent, that's true in the next year or two in terms of what he's thinking. But at the same time, like. I think he is also looking at this and saying, there's no way that this can last. Like at some (laughs) point, you know, Dorian's gone, Melnick's gone, all of this is gone. And I look like the winner because I wrote it out and I'm the uh, I'm the one constant for this team. Exactly. Daniel Alfredson is advising Eric Carlson and he's telling Eric Carlson, don't worry, I'm buying the team soon. (laughs) Oh, that is that is the ultimate scenario for sure. Did we accidentally become optimistic? Well, we've convinced ourselves that Eric Carlson is resigning, regardless of what else happens. So I'm mostly just hoping that they don't do anything stupid in the next week, other than make the trades that everybody agrees that they should make. And then, like I said, I mean, I'm optimistic in the sense that I know they're going to make the playoffs next year with whatever veteran free agents they pick up and whichever prospects they choose to play, whether it be Logan Brown or somebody else, uh, just because it's the NHL and it's more random than we give it credit for. And we will probably see them losing in the first round to Boston next year. So get ready for that. We should be so lucky. Um, honestly, good luck to all of us. Yep. Good uh, luck to Sense fans. Because we, we need it these days. It will get better, but there's a lot that has to happen first. All right. So I think we'll leave it there and uh, we'll come see you guys again after the trade deadline when we can uh, break down the Zach Smith trade for you. Yes. I'm very excited about that. Best of luck to Zach Smith. In future endeavors. Yeah, whatever they happen to be, probably in Vegas. But Smith strikes me as a Vegas guy. He'll be fine. Yeah. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. For a couple of fowlers who both still live with their moms. Breaking the town's local hockey team down with some microphones on. 
No other podcast was finer Or was more of a hit with the big, big diners We never thought they'd make it past episode 5 Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Parisi are live Whoa, 